We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Everybody, welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace. I'm with Fachi once again, and we have our special guest. We've got our reoccurring monthly guest, Derek Schultz, coming on to talk Pacers basketball, a little FIBA basketball as well. So, Derek, thanks so much for coming on. How are we doing? Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I'm doing great. Awesome, man. Awesome. So, let's just kind of go back. FIBA basketball. I, I'm not really sure where to start because th- the time these games are on, it's just pretty much impossible for me to watch them. I could have probably DVR them and went back and rewatched them, but I just, I don't know. I wasn't as into team USA this year as I probably should have been considering Tyrese was on the team. I kept up with the stats and that kind of stuff, but didn't thoroughly watch it. Were you following along with FIBA pretty much this whole entire journey? It's very hard for me. I turned 40 earlier this year and I have a six year old and it's very hard for me to have to put effort into things anymore that aren't related to, um, you know, my like physical health because everything's breaking on my body right now and my kid. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm kind of like you, um, the effort that it requires to really kind of keep up with FIBA. It was hard for me to put in that effort. And also I think, and I'm not just saying this because I personally kind of brushed it aside. I know not everybody's going to feel this way. I take the non-Olympic years with a extreme grain of salt because it's a small sample size and you have weird stuff happen. I mean, I'm pretty sure Dylan Brooks isn't going to shoot like 85% from three this year. Um, you know, <laughs> you have a bunch of kind of weird stuff happen sometimes in, in these kind of tournaments. So it's embarrassing that the, the team USA couldn't even get on the medal stand. Right. Um, yeah. Like I, I'm not going to sugarcoat that, but the overall result of it to me, I don't think there's usually a ton of stuff that you can take from it. Therefore, I, I don't feel bad for not fully investing myself in it. I was very excited for Tyrese to get that experience. But Derek, is it safe to say now it's been proven that the so-called B team for Team USA is no longer enough 
to win a gold medal because they failed now to even win bronze over the last two World Cups. The gap has definitely narrowed, Fachi, but I, I think I, I don't think the B team should not have a chance at the gold. I, I, I think the B team should win gold. They certainly. Should. I think the B team needs to be constructed better. I, agree. Um, I, I think that's kind of the problem. You look at this roster and you know, there are a couple of guys that really don't even belong there. That you know, no offense to Bobby Portis, but come on, that's really what yeah. we're sending over there. And and I get that you're at the mercy of people agreeing to do it, but t- to put so many ball dominant players together with Edwards and Brunson and you know guys like that, they need the ball in their hands. I, I just I felt like it was a really redundant roster in certain areas. Yeah. Um, their big situation was a complete Ooh. mess, uh, and, and I think presented sort of a almost like a misunderstanding of international basketball that 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 was how you were going to do it and and not have uh, um some more traditional bigs to choose from or at least play more traditional bigs because I, I think it was a little bit of roster construction problem and then Steve Kerr maybe being a little too rigid um with with how things were going so um I think the, the answer to that is that the B team are, are the second best team in the USA should win this event or should at least medal in this event. Yeah. It just needs to be, I think a better collection of players and, and more cohesion. And I understand that it's a challenge and it's difficult than other countries where they throw these guys together and they, they play together. They're familiar with each other's games. And sometimes you're just throwing everybody in when it's team USA, but it, it's gotta be better than, than what it's been. I, I saw a stat that I, I think they've only won gold in two of the last six now and, and that's just that's not going to cut on yeah and i totally agree with that i think that when i did watch i was kind of disappointed at how close the games were here and it's you know you want to give the international teams a lot of credit because there's got basketball's gotten better all across the world and it's a totally different game like it's not the nba and that's one thing i think a lot of casual fans like myself that are just like oh yeah i see all these guys dominating the nba well fiba's officiated differently the rules are different the ball's different there's a lot of different dynamics to it and i think that does play a factor into it like you said rosters roster construction is a big part of it and we saw miles turner play i think it was maybe the covid year that he played with team usa and he had some moments where he didn't look great out there i know like the game against france with rudy gobert like after he had been talking about rudy gobert and the defensive player of the year stuff like he didn't necessarily play great against him but i felt like the miles we saw last year and the growth we've seen from him the last couple of years and the experience he already has, I felt like, could they not have gotten Miles to play? I mean, this was his first offseason that he's fully healthy. I feel like if you put Miles out there instead of a Walker Kessler, there's probably a better chance this team actually wins something. And I think him and Jaron Jackson Jr. actually could have played together quite a bit. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think there's something to that. And you mentioned FIBA being different from the NBA. That's why Jaron Jackson, everybody's going in circles around him compared to the NBA because it's just it's not the same. He's not being asked to do the same thing in FIBA competition that he is when he's playing in the NBA where he's basically a big wing that blocks shots. <laughs> you know, I yeah, know he's a big yeah. dude. Um, I would love to see Turner play in this event. Um, I think for a while, guys, it was like I remember with the Olympic team in 2004, and, and I, I think you needed more buy-in. I think guys are bought in. Like I, I think Tyrese Halliburton and their roster, the guys that were there wanted to be there. I, I don't think the buy-in is the problem. It's just about getting the pieces that that kind of fit together. And somebody like Miles Turner, to me, just with the attitude that he presents every day, I would think that that he would buy into something like that if he, um, you know, if he ultimately agreed to to go back and do it. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. The, the roster could be constructed better, and the players that 
were on the team. Look, they're they're no slouches. They are good players. Anthony Edwards is going to be a very good player in this year. Mikel Bridges could be an all-star this year. But our all-star, Tyrese Halliburton, I thought this experience was so vital for him. He got to finally play in meaningful or elimination-type games where it really does matter. And on a big stage, I thought he played really well. I mean, I thought that he was perhaps the best uh, you know, passer on this team. He was one of the most efficient players. But also, NBA players raved about playing with him. We saw that on social media. What do you feel this overall experience was like for Tyrese? Yeah, I don't think you can paint it as a negative. Even with them not meddling, um, I think it was certainly beneficial for him to get that experience, A, and and B, I I think even more important, you you guys know this, when it comes to the Pacers, keeping your name out there. So people are like, oh, yeah, that's the guy that that plays for the Pacers because here he's a household name, but in – you know, I don't know, Vermont and Florida and Montana, you know, people might not know much about Tyrese Halliburton. So maybe they, if they put in the effort to watch FIBA, maybe they watched a little bit more of him. Um, I think he fit the roster better because Tyrese is, he's so versatile as a player that I think he fits most rosters. He doesn't need the ball. Kind of like what I mentioned with Brunson and some of those other guys, they, they need the ball to really be effective and, and Halliburton doesn't. And he makes the guys around him better. So um, you know, I like, you know, kind of following along with, I, I know Alex, when, when you were watching, you were mentioning the facts specifically with, with Brunson versus Halley and, and how the, the offense was flowing a lot better with Halliburton on the floor. And my experience watching, I agree. Um, I, I think he was at times the better player, uh, for, for USA in that. So I, I think it's great. Um, I, I guess the one potential downside and and injuries and things like that are so fluke I'll knock on wood before I even say anything but you know kind of going through the grind of all of that and then hopping into camp in a couple of weeks and then right into the preseason and before you know it guys the season's going to be here I, I guess that gives you a little bit of concern but I think overall the the positives far outweigh the negatives for Halliburton to have this sort of experience yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, going back to that point where Tyrese was a little bit more effective than Jalen Brunson in that game against Germany, Jalen Brunson was a minus 19 when he was on the floor and Tyrese was a plus 14. So that's a massive swing right there in terms of plus minus. And, you know, every Nick fan can be upset that Tyrese fell down on the shot that ultimately won the game for Germany. But, you know, they were picking apart Jalen Brunson the entire game because he's kind of a one trick pony and he he can play make some. And, I, and I've actually been more of a defender of Jalen Brunson than I have been, you know, hating on him. But more recently, just because of Knicks fans on social media, you know, they're a lot louder than Pacer fans because there's a lot more of them. I just got to chirp back a little bit every once and now, uh, once and again, because it's just like, you know, Tyrese had a really good FIBA experience like we've talked about. And I think his defense, we did see improvement from it. I think that's a huge thing. And number two, he didn't get healthy or didn't get injured. He stayed healthy. So I think getting the experience and staying healthy is awesome for him because like you said, Flash, you know, hopefully this just makes him hungrier for those kind of pressure moments when it comes to meaningful basketball because he's yet to really have that in the NBA, being on the Kings for two years and then with the Pacers rebuilding the last two years. I'm hoping this just kind of ignites him a little bit, gives him a little bit of a boost to like push this Pacers team, really take the reins here as a leader because we talked about, I think that maybe the last episode that we talked with you, Derek, no real leader on this team right now. It's kind of the, the front office is allowing these young guys to kind of step up and take those reins by not having that major veteran like a James Johnson or a George Hill back on the roster. So what are you expecting from Tyrese this season 
in terms of his leadership skills? Yeah, I'm not worried about the leadership at all. You know, I think uh, I think he's already there. And I yeah. think you make a great point, Alex, about getting the opportunity to play high stakes basketball is something that you don't often do when you spent your entire career in, in Sacramento and Indiana. So, um, you know, getting that opportunity, I, I think, was certainly a, a, a big plus for him. Um, what I'm looking for for him is just more improvement in the weaknesses. We know what the strengths are. It's about him getting better as a defender, not to the point where he's an all-league defender or anything crazy like that, but just be a, a competent, a reliable level defender. You know, can Tyrese Halliburton bring that to the table and, and have that be part of his game? And I think, you know, when you talk about the guys that really kind of make the, the leap, that's when they, they start to figure out the weaknesses and they start to bring those closer to their strengths. You know, the guys that kind of stay in the top, 20 to 40 overall NBA player level are the guys where the weaknesses never really catch up to the strengths. Um, and you don't want to see that from, from Halliburton. Um, he is who he is. Like I said, I don't think he's ever going to be like some lockdown guy or anything like that, but I, I do think that um, he can be better than what he's shown to be so far in, in his young career and just improving his, his all around game. Yeah, he is elite from a point guard standpoint, but the game is obviously played on two sides of the ball. And I don't know if he'll ever have that same two-way skills that Victor Oladipo had in that magical 2017-2018 year where he's an all-defensive team, you know, an all-NBA all selection. But there are a lot of great things he brings to the game, primarily from a point guard passing standpoint. My last thing on FIBA, do you think that Halliburton might have done enough to make the Olympic team when the time comes? Because he led them in assists. He had the highest plus-minus on the FIBA team. And players like Russ, James Harden, Chris Paul, they're all older than the last time that we saw them for a, a Team USA go-around. Do you think Halliburton could be in that running for the Olympic team? Yeah, sure. Um, and and I think they're going to have to strike a balance here because I, I read all the reports that you guys did that LeBron's going to be out there recruiting all of the, the yep. old guard. And that's fine to have some of the old players, but – they've got to think about who's going to carry this team exactly. to for, for the future. And, and I think Halliburton, given his age and, and his rise, I, I think would be somebody that you'd want. But I, I think the most important thing that Halliburton has for him is that he fits just about any roster that you would put him on. Yep. Um, and, and there are some guys that, that, you know, you really have to be careful who you put around them if you were going to choose them for the team or ask them to be on the team. So, um, it's not something that I'm expecting per se, uh, but is he in the running? Yeah, sure. I, I think he absolutely should be considered, and I, I think it would be unbelievable to to see him represent his country and, and be on Team USA. Well, my last FIBA question goes to a different team, and this is Germany, who has Daniel Tice, who dominated Team USA's bigs in that you know round two games before they went to the championship and played for the gold. And eventually they won the gold. He didn't look great in the game when they won the gold. I think he had like two, four points, something like that. Like didn't really seem to have as big of an impact as he did against Team USA. But his role with the Pacers this year, it, it kind of feels like it could go one or two ways. Either he's going to be the second guy, you know, behind Miles, or he's going to be a guy that's where he was at last year, not getting any playing time. I'm kind of curious. Where do you think Daniel Tice fits in with this team? And did team or did the FIBA show you anything? that hmm, maybe we are kind of sleeping on Tice a little bit in terms of what he can bring to this team. I guess what FIBA has shown me, I mean, I, I kind of felt this way to begin, but 
if we are going to take something from FIBA, which I basically said at the beginning of our conversation, we got to throw everything out. So maybe I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here. Um, I do think that the Pacers should approach the backup big spot. And maybe Rick Carlisle is already thinking this coming up in camp here as, as just being a clean slate. Like let, let's just, we know these guys, most of them coming back. We've, we've spent, had some experience with, let's just give everybody a look here and, and see who wins the job um, and leave it open-ended instead of just, maybe coming to it with preconceived notions and uh, and all of that. I, I do think Tice, you know, it, it's not going to be exciting for fans to see, what is he, 31, 32 years old, something, you know, a, a, a player like that um, be a mainstay in the rotation. But you do need guys, I, I think, that bring some of what he brings to the table. And it's not like Isaiah Jackson's a slam dunk. We, we still really, the jury's kind of out. Uh, on what he ultimately is going to be or, you know, I don't know, Jalen Smith or some, some of these others that I guess you would maybe include um, somewhere in that mix. So um, I'm not going to write it off. Uh, I, I don't think that he's going to be the the backup big this year, but I, I do think that the Pacers should approach that with an open mind. And, and I don't know, maybe they watched or, or maybe that unleashed something in tights that's, you know, playing with the chip a little bit. Um, I don't know if it really changed his mentality. I think his mentality has mostly remained the same. I think the dude wants to play. It's just, um, you know, I, I guess the Pacers have uh, a bit of a interesting conundrum that you'd put in maybe the good problem to have category with guys like Tice and TJ McConnell who have shown themselves to be capable, reliable veteran players and finding minutes and finding roles for guys like that. Pacers are once again in a in a tough spot where it's no longer just about developing the young guys because this team showed a lot last year that they could be further along than maybe the front office thought. And a guy like Daniel Tice, yeah, I mean, he's now healthy this time around. He went into last year. He was not healthy. He missed, I want to say it was, I don't 50 know, the games, first 40, I think. exactly, the first 40 to 50 games of the season. But by the time he was able to get in the lineup the Pacers were trying to showcase him a little bit maybe to trade him after that point it was like oh you know what we're gonna give the young guys a shot this year it feels a little bit different which kind of leads me into a segue going into training camp what position battles are you most excited for is it the backup center spot is it perhaps who's going to be starting at the two or who's going to be starting at the four because there's a lot of competition and I think that competition brings out the best in players, and that's what we want for this Pacers team. Competition is great. Um, I, I don't even have to spend any time thinking about your question. The, the to me, the by far the most interesting position battle is what's going to happen at the four. Is, is Jarris Walker going to win that battle, or is it is is Obi going to be unlocked? And he'd been you know uh, chained up by by Tibbs and the Knicks, and he's just going to get unleashed now and going to be catching alley-oops and, and going for 20 and 10 every night and of a 40% three-point shooter, and the Knicks had no idea what they had. You know, <laughs> that that's what I'm I'm kind of looking forward to. Um, right, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I know, Fachi, you're, you're very high. On I love him, yeah. but some people have these expectations <laughs> that are through the roof on Twitter. He's going to win the dunk contest. He's going to be an all-star. 20 and 10. This, this. It's like, <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. I, I like him, but let's, you know, let's take it down a notch. I, I think I told you guys the last time I was on the show, I got I have a big, you know, you know my background as a Knicks fan. And, and one of my high school buddies, my dear friend, who still has remained a big Knicks fan, he is convinced that he is like prime Blake Griffin, just ready to be in, in the right role in the right situation. And he he got so excited when he found out that he was going to Indiana. But I, I think that's the battle because it'll tell us 
it'll tell us a lot about Walker and it'll tell us a lot about Toppin, you know, and, and, and who they are going to be. And I, I think it's going to make both of them better um, in, in having that competition and, and seeing who ends up the, the victor in that. And I don't really think there's necessarily a loser because I think Toppin could be awesome with a second unit as, as a, a, an instant offense guy. And I think Walker, what he brings to the table, you could uh, be a great player in the second unit as well. So to me, I, I think that's the most um, interesting position battle. But guys, I, I'm just interested in in what the starting lineup is going to look like because you yeah. ask any Pacers fan and they're going to give you a different answer mm-hmm. uh, of who they think is, is going to be there and going to start because of his contract. Is Brown going to start? Are they going to go back to Nemhard? Is he going to start? Is is Heald going to come off the bench and be like a sixth man of the year? Is he going to want to do that? Um, there are a lot of questions about what this rotate. I- I'm excited. Um, I-, I think, again, I'm-, I'm repeating myself here, but good problem to have category, right? Yes. Where you have this many good players and you're trying to kind of figure out where they all fit together. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. All right, I'm going to have you put yourself in Andrew Nimhart's shoes here a little bit because you get asked to be the starting two guard next to Tyrese Halliburton last season. You do a phenomenal job, really, I felt like, you know, guarding a lot of the better players in the league as a rookie, really showing that you belong. And now they go ahead. They don't make any trades, really, to get rid of anybody that could be challenging for your spot. They did move off of Chris Duarte, but we knew he wasn't going to be in, in those talks. But you do bring in Bruce Brown. You draft Ben Shepard. Matherin obviously wants to start. And like you said, Buddy Hill's right there too. So now there's a lot of open competition for this spot. And and you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, last year I did everything you asked me to do. I, I guarded the best player. I, I played the point guard position as a starter when Tyrese went out. And now you bring in Bruce Brown, who you only got guaranteed for one year. And I'm supposed to, you know, go out there and prove that I'm better than him, but he's got the championship experience. So if you're putting yourself in his shoes, how do you approach this 
And you kind of feel like you got a target on your back in a sense with all these other players chomping at the bit to become starters. And how do you handle if you do get demoted to the bench? I'm not worried about Nemhard accepting whatever role the Pacers have for him. I, I, he doesn't strike me as somebody that would end up being a malcontent. Is he competitive and does he want to play and start? Of course, uh, he's human, right? All these guys want to play and they want to start. You ask any of them, you give them true serum. Of course, they want to do that. Um, I, I do think that probably, you know, we were talking about guys, Tyrese Halliburton coming along as a defender. Until there's more progress made there, probably the right call for the starting backcourt is to put him and Nemhard together just because I think Nemhard takes some of that pressure off um, and, and he can be your, you know, your primary uh, defender um, when those two guys are on the floor there on, on the other team's best player. I, I like what Nemhard brings to the table. He can, I think, be versatile and, and play with just about any lineup that's, that's out there, but it is an interesting position to be in. And, and I think all of what you said potentially pertains to Benedict Matherin too, where, mm -hmm. Hey, I came in as a rookie. You asked me to shoulder a lot of the load offensively. I did. And then, you know, does he enter the season coming off the bench again in year two um, or buddy healed? And I'm a veteran player. I'm a great three point shooter. What's the deal here now? I started now I'm not going to start. And, and all of these guys, I, I think there is the potential that, there's some walking on eggshells, I guess, a little bit. But because they've been so great together, because they're familiar with each other, I mean, outside of Brown coming into a, to a new situation, you know, the other core players being familiar with one another, I, I don't think we're going to have a lot of problems with this. I, I, I think the real challenge is going to be feeling it out and, and finding the, the first team and second team rotations that really work. Um, and they have, they have the talent. They have the pieces. You're not going to have to force people out there that you don't, want to be out there but um I don't envy Rick Carlisle because I, I think it, there are some difficult decisions to be made there and and who, who knows guys maybe there will be a feeling out process for the first couple of weeks of the season maybe maybe they won't go into the season with a set rotation and a concrete idea of what they're going to look like and tough decisions is definitely a, a great way to put it because look hey it is an 82 game season anything could happen at any point and depth is a great thing to have but guys like Buddy Heald are used to playing 30 minutes per game. He is in a contract year and what could be his last real good contract. TJ McConnell, obviously, he, he's getting older and he fits a lot of teams, but there might not be the playing time for him. Do you think the Pacers might make the do right by the player type move, even if it goes against winning to find one of those guys a home saying, hey, you've given us some good years. We want to do right by you. Or do you think it's, hey, you know what? We're really trying to win over here. And a guy like Buddy Heald hasn't been to the playoffs. Do you think he'd be willing to sacrifice what could be a large chunk of minutes if it's best for the team? Yeah, I, I think especially in McConnell's case where it's really kind of hard to see him having much of a role. If he if he has a role, it'll be a small one. I, I think that would be a discussion you would have with him privately and be like, Hey, you know, are you thinking about where else you'd like to be? Um, because he's given a lot to the franchise. He's been a, a team first guy and, and, a, and a really good player and a guy that I, I think if you would go back to the September of last year, or the year before, you know, it, it feels like we're constantly talking about them moving on from TJ McConnell. And then he always comes back, plays well, and then suddenly finds his way into the rotation. Right. So, so who knows um, how that would go, but the yield thing, I, I think there are some people that believe, 
well, he doesn't line up with the Pacers, and and I was one of these people. He doesn't line up with the Pacers' core, so he's not going to be here beyond this year. So you might as well end up dealing him. And um, the more that I think about it, I'm not so sure that that's going to be the case. But yes, to answer your question, Fachi, if he, if the Pacers knew that he was going to have a very diminished role, like let's say. Matherin lights the world on fire uh, in, in the first couple of weeks and Brown is great and, and Nemhard's awesome. And you're just like, Oh God, like <laughs> we, we gotta, we gotta play all these guys. Um, I do think that they would, they would do right by him because that's, that's kind of how the Pacers run their business. And, and I think he'll be the same way. I don't think he would stick around and pout. I, I think he would, he knows that he's a, he's a very valuable player that could uh, play an integral role on just about any team that he played on with his skill set. And I will say Buddy Hill did seem to do a good job adjusting to what Rick Carlisle asked him the last 15, 20 games to come off the bench for Matherin. He's praised Rick Carlisle as well as a coach that he really likes and how Rick always tries to put him in the best spots to succeed. So I think that Carlisle's relationship with the players, I think Miles Turner, when he came on our show, he talked about that. He's no nonsense. He's not going to BS you. He's just going to tell you how it is. And it's nice to have someone that's just straightforward and doesn't sugarcoat things and He's like, just coach us hard. Like, we're professionals. Like, let us know what's going on. If you don't like something, let us know. I think that's great. But I remember last time when we had you on, we talked about the offseason. You said you felt like the Pacers wanted to make a bigger splash than they did. So I'm curious because we've seen this team do this before where they kind of get themselves believing in what they have and unwilling to make that kind of a risky move to go out and get someone better. They run it, they keep the same group together, it, it kind of reaches its ceiling and it's not that high, where they could have potentially made a trade to have a higher ceiling in future years, but in the moment, it may have messed up some of the chemistry. Do you think the Pacers, if there's a trade out there, let's say January-ish time, that could maybe make this team a little bit better, but might have some ripple effects that could make them lose a few games in a couple of weeks, whatever. Do you think they're willing to break up that team chemistry this year and make that kind of a splashy move? Yeah, um, I think they're willing to. I, I think the the approach from let's say last year to this year is that it's it's not win now per se, but mm. it's also not hey we're definitely not going anywhere this year. You know, like I I I think they can be a little more aggressive when it comes to that. Um, I think I heard you guys talk about. Uh, I think you were doing bold predictions. And I think Fachi was the one that said, hey, uh, they'll make a win now move at some point during this season. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if that um, if that ended up happening. Now, given the, the, the pieces that would most likely be dealt, um, I, I think we're talking more probably about, you know, Heald would be the most likely trade candidate, right? So really, if you're making a move with Heald, that's not like it's some like young, growing player that's going to be... We know what Buddy Heald is and, yeah. and is always going to be. So maybe it's a little bit of a different approach there, but I don't think the Pacers are going to be afraid at all to, to be aggressive. Um, we've seen that blow up in the past with the, uh, you know, the, the infamous Evan Turner deal um, and really just kind of how they treated Danny Granger on the way out. And we didn't really know at the time, but then came to learn how much that affected that locker room back in 2014. Um, but you've got a guy in, in Rick Carlisle and, and you've got a front office that are a little more new school than old school. You know, Larry Bird was a little more of a, okay, we're doing this. If you don't like it, who cares? I'm the boss. You're not shut up. Um, I don't think you're going to get that with this Pacers team. So um, I do think that, 
I don't necessarily think that's going to happen. Um, I, I think they're they're happy to kind of roll along and see this core grow together. Um, and and maybe Heald is outside that conversation, but you know, Nemhard, uh, Matherin, uh, you know, guys like that are obviously involved. But yeah, I, I do think that they wouldn't be afraid to be aggressive in January if they feel like, look, we got a top five to seven team in the East. Can we get a little bit even higher than that right now? Are we are we ahead of schedule? And can we get even more ahead of schedule? I, I don't think they would be shut off to that idea. You know, I think there's some moves that could make sense. And then I think there's the, if you trade for Pascal Siakam at the deadline, is it really going to deliver you a championship? Probably not. So you don't want to, you know, empty the, the, the chest of resources if it's not going to be your year. So I think there's some moves that they should take a look at, but success could be defined in many different ways. What do you view as a successful Pacers season outside of, of course, winning a championship, which just about none of us are expecting this year? I think it would be successful for them to make the postseason and I'll, I'll say be in the old playoff field. If they okay. could be a so top eight team. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. The, the, the recent years, you know, what is that? Is that yeah, the 9-10? I, I think, 10, I think if know. they could be a, a top eight team, I think that would be a, a successful season. Um, I would love to see them get into the field field, you know, in, into the top six. Um, but I, I think actually one of the biggest measuring sticks for me is, and, and this is going to sound kind of, trivial because you know at the end of the day who cares it's just an, an award that a bunch of people kind of vote on but if Tyrese Halliburton became like an all NBA level player um and just kind of continued to show that progress um I think that would be uh that'd be a big deal so so staying healthy one um and and staying healthy throughout the season is is a big part of that but becoming like an all league type player um I think we're happy with where he is, but if the if the Pacers are really going to contend for a championship, they need Halliburton to be more like a top 15 level player than a top 25 level player. Um, so him kind of continuing to uh, to make some strides there. So it's not like last year where it was just throw everything out, wins and losses, and let's just look at individual improvement. I, I think this year is more okay, let's see them be competitive and see them play meaningful games late in the season and eventually kind of get in the postseason and then also see the same steps forward and in individual growth that we saw from some players last year and then kind of adding on to the new ones, you know, the flyer with OB, uh, Jarris Walker, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, if you look at the the rest of the Eastern Conference, it, it does seem like, you know, you have your teams that are at the – uh, the top of the league, you know, Milwaukee, they're pretty much running it back. Boston, they made some changes. Well, how will that impact their team? Could it be good? Could it be bad? You know, we know Miami is very much in the hunt for Damian Lillard. I'm sure that'll eventually happen. So I'm kind of banking on that to happen at some point. But other than that, you got a lot of drama going on in Philadelphia right now with James Harden. How does that impact, uh, impact Joel Embiid? You know, the Knicks, I think they're a team that people feel pretty good about now, but last year they didn't have as high as expectations. So now that expectations are a little bit higher, do they come back to earth a little bit? The Hawks, you know, Quinn Snyder, I think is a very smart coach, but at the same time, their roster still seems like it's got some work to do. And I feel like at this point, this is where the Pacers can kind of take advantage. I think the Cavs are another team I missed there, but Donovan Mitchell, I know that's kind of been a talking point on some NBA podcasts like, is he going to be here past this year? Is Are they going to trade him? Like, is he going to sign a long-term extension? Probably not. So 
I'm just kind of curious, you know, when we had Miles Turner on, he said that he didn't want to say top four and like put expectations too high, but he said that he thought they could finish top six. I know you said top eight, but when you look at the rest of the East, how realistic is a top six spot for the Pacers? Yeah, it, it's it's not going to be easy. It's uh, it's a tough climb, and it doesn't just rely on growth and talent. It relies on luck. It relies yeah. on Halliburton not getting hurt at a juncture of the season when the Pacers are playing great basketball, and then they lose. You know what did they end up losing? Like seventeen of twenty at, at one point there in that that January February swoon. You look at the rest of the season, and that was basically a 500 plus basketball team. Um, so it, it's not going to be easy to get there. And, and guys, I don't want to paint it. Like if, if the Pacers finish ninth and losing the play in round, does that mean that the season's a complete failure? No. no. Um, I, I think there are some, there are some individual things that uh, could happen that would still sort of make the season, maybe not a success, but, uh, but a passing grade, for them. So I don't want to make it all about getting to the top six or the, the top eight. I, I think that would be nice to do, but you can't look at it in a vacuum, right? The Pacers can be great, but then if the Knicks have a bunch of things hit or the Cavs do this or that, you know, like there are other teams that are involved in this as well who could get lucky or, or could have unexpected things happen to them where they, they rise through the ranks too. So, um, kind of getting back to the original question, uh, with, with Fachi, I, I think that looking at it like can the Pacers play meaningful games late and play postseason basketball of some sort I think putting that as a bar is fine while also understanding that this is still we're still very early in this mm-hmm. um we're still probably not even at the halfway point of of what this is going to look like for the Pacers to kind of get back to uh to being where people want them to be so understanding those and, and kind of keeping things realistic I and and grounded, I guess is the better word, um, is is where I'm trying to approach the 23-24 season. Yeah, I think a couple of years ago, it was so easy to say, we got to get out of the first round. That was considered success because the Pacers could not get out of the first round. Now it's like you want this combination between player development, more wins. I mean, last year was 35 wins. So y- you want to say 500. Is 500 good enough now to get you into the playoffs? I don't know. The East is looking really strong, so it's hard to put them into a specific seed. But going back to your point about Tyrese Halliburton being All-NBA, Derek, I think the only way that happens is if the Pacers have the wins to back it up. I think they would have to be about a playoff team in order for him to get that sort of recognition because when I went through all all the players that made All-NBA last year, only one of them wasn't on a playoff team. And it was Damian Lillard who averaged over 30 points per game, has a star name to back it up. Halliburton hasn't quite arrived there yet. So I do think the wins will have to be there. Yeah, if if Hallie makes an all-NBA team, then the Pacers probably had a really good season, right? Mm. Um, as good as Victor Oladipo was in 17-18, Victor Oladipo's not on the all-NBA team if the Pacers miss the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? So, I mean, there, there's a great example um, as far as that's concerned, too. So, I just think Hallie continuing his rise to the point where he is um, – you know, keeps, keeps climbing tiers among the upper echelon NBA players – I think it's um, it's it's an important barometer for where the Pacers can go because we have been 
sort of fooled into this before and you say, mm-hmm. okay, well, this guy's going to get here. And, and then they, they fall kind of short of that or they, they peak kind of early or they have what Oladipo had happened to him where, you know, just a bunch of injuries and bad luck and awful circumstance ended up popping into the equation, maybe listening to the wrong people a little bit too. But, um, and I'm not saying that any of that, you know, again, I keep knocking on wood during this episode. Hey, I'm, I'm knocking with you. <laughs> yeah, this desk is from Target, so I don't even know if this is real wood, but I'll, I'm not going to anyway. Um, I don't think any of that's going to happen with Halliburton. But to your point, yeah, I, I do think that if if he does get where we want him to, then that means that the Pacers are lockstep, right? That they also got to where we wanted them to. It's going to be an exciting season for sure. And, you know, every time we kind of close a, close out a podcast, we'll say we're going to wrap it up. And I don't know why, but I'm in the mood for some food. And I'm just curious, Derek. Go-to wraps. One, do you like wraps? And number two, what is your go-to wrap if you were to pick one? Wraps? So, yeah. like, sandwich wraps? Yeah. Oh, man. You know, On the spot. I actually, uh, <laughs> that's what we do for lunch, my wife and I. We don't do sandwiches on bread. We just have, like, these tortillas upstairs, and we just throw a bunch yeah. of stuff in there usually. Um, one of my favorites is to take – I'm a huge, like, Italian cured meats guy. So one of my favorites is to take just a a standard tortilla wrap, pesto, mozzarella, and then uh, prosciutto, salami, and then maybe a little bit of turkey. And then I do um, pickles, onions, red cabbage. Ooh, wow. You're loading (laughs) this thing (laughs) up. Yeah, Yeah, jazz up a little bit. And and that's like my go-to lunch wrap. Nice. Um, Yeah, yeah, it's good. So you're probably surprised Alex that you asked me something that was right in my wheelhouse with sandwich wraps absolutely right in my wheelhouse what about you guys I'm a buffalo chicken uh, wrap same guy. right here oh, yeah. yeah. right. I mean if I can get it I if it's it. on the menu I'm ordering yeah. it yeah if it's done right it's really good oh, uh, sometimes it can be kind of hit or miss depending on where you get it from but you can't get the chicken tenders with just the hot sauce dumped on it that's not the same you know, you, you want your buffalo chicken to be you know like you, you put some time in with it you like so. crispy or grilled uh, I, I, mean, get, I like a grilled one. I, I, I like grilled. Yeah. What, what I hate is it. I hate a chicken nugget that's just been just drenched in hot sauce in there. Because yeah. for me, that that's just gonna give you a stomachache. But you know, <laughs> give, give me give me some quality on there. That, that's what I like. Alex, you talk hit and miss. The one the one wrap that I found has the most like variance between like good to inedible is if you guys ever get chicken Caesar wraps. Like sometimes they, they hit it just right. And then sometimes it's like soggy with Caesar uh, or just oh. dry and it's all like lettucey. And you're like, yeah. oh, like, come on, man. No, I get cool. that. It's it's funny because actually we were, I was in Alaska a couple of weeks ago and we were on this whale cruise. We paid for like our tickets, and everything and included a lunch and it had a chicken wrap in. It was like a cold chicken. It actually tasted pretty good. And they had some leftovers. So I got a second one because I was like, you know, put some honey mustard on this. It tasted pretty, pretty darn good. And I'm like, I don't eat wraps enough, but I kind of wish I did. I'm kind of jealous that you're always eating wraps, Derek, because <laughs> they're just, it's just a little handheld. It's nice. I mean, most time for lunch, I, I'll be honest, I do make like chicken sausage and green beans, try to eat healthy, that kind of stuff. And then every once in a while, I'll do like, I got turkey and cheese or a ham and cheese sandwich just to break up the monotony of, the same chicken sausage and green beans, but wraps, I feel like that could be a nice alternative. Yeah, you can do, I mean, the world is your oyster, man. You can do whatever you want with those things. So jazz them up, jazz them down, whatever you want. Mark it down. (laughs) September 12th, nearly 10 p.m. Alex is about to enter a wrap kick 
I could see it for the next few weeks. <laughs> this man, lunch is going to be different tomorrow. I feel it. I don't think so. I don't think so, Tim. And <laughs> going back to my home improvement references, because I've been watching that on Disney Plus. But, um, you know, that's I chose that over FIBA basketball. That's just how bad it is for me right now. I've been watching Home Improvement Season 3 reruns with my wife over wow. FIBA, FIBA basketball. But, Derek, we've kept you too long. Obviously, not a lot going on in September. But October, when we have you back on, we're excited because you're going to be joining us every month as the season goes on. And I think it's going to be fun to kind of just look at this team as a, like on a month to month basis, because we saw last year, the highs and lows every month comes with, and that's just the nature of sports, but um, we kept you too long. I, I know people know where to find you out on social media. So I need you to throw that out there, but anything you got that you want to promote work-wise? Yeah. So I still do. Um, I do biweekly columns for the IBJ uh, where we hit on some Pacers stuff. Usually Mark Monteith is the Pacers guy when it comes to that. And he and I rotate. But um, if you want to check that out, um, IBJ.com, it is subscription only. Um, okay. That's not my call. But um, if you do want to get a subscription and read, that'd be great. Um, still occasionally popping over to Indie Monthly and then uh, and then Jake and I with our uh, weekly yep. show, keeping that alive. Uh, basically, it's just a reason for us to kind of shoot the breeze, I guess, every single week. But QuarianSchultz.com, <laughs> if you want to see that. Um, every Tuesday now at 7.30 is when we uh, we broadcast that show. Change it for Monday. Had to change it for Monday because my man got kicked upstairs on the uh, the fan schedule. So he's yes. middays now. So he had to move off of Mondays because of some of his uh, real job obligations <laughs> with meetings and all of that. So we we always accommodate everybody in Jake's life accommodates to Jake all the time. So we had to accommodate to Jake. Yes. Yeah. It's all revolves around Jake. I mean, that's how it's always going to be too. So. Yep. Uh, but with that being said, everybody, thanks so much for listening. We'll have Derek back on. Fachi and I'll be back on later this week doing another episode of the season goals covering Andrew Nimhart and what this season could look like for him. So thank you all for listening. We'll talk to y'all later. Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.